Hello and welcome to Your Property Podcast. Today is the 18th of September 2020. My name is Michelle Cairns, your host for today. And with us we've got Susie Carter. Now Susie's going to be talking to us about commercial property and her background is as a chartered surveyor. She's worked in the property industry for over 25 years. So welcome to the podcast, Susie. Hi Michelle, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on and we've not had too many people on talking in specifically around commercial property. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing your experience and t- tell us how did you get into commercial property? Were you always in property or is it something that you moved into from another career? Yeah, so I um I did, I did a geography degree and then kind of what do you do with a geography degree? So <laughs> I kind of went on and uh, yeah, re, uh, kind of retrained almost. And um, uh, so I, yeah, almost, almost straight from uni, I kind of trained to be a surveyor and I've, I've been a charter surveyor since uh, 1997, showing my age. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and um, then, um, yeah, I kind of went to, was a, like a graduate surveyor in London in the early days. So yeah, it's always been commercial property. Um, and you know, I think I grew up in the northwest, so um, in a little little town. And my dream was always to go work in London in a suit. And it's kind of the irony is now I just that's the last thing I want to do. So, <laughs> so um, as a chartered surveyor, so for people who don't know what a chartered surveyor is, what does that involve? Um, so um, yeah, I mean, I guess it means different things. I mean, basically, a chartered surveyor can do pretty much anything, but. Um, in my in my kind of professional career what I've done is um I've done I've done a huge range of roles so um I used to work at I started off in CBRE which used to be a firm called Hillier Parker where I I was part of the team that was managing Regent Street for the Crown Estate when it was a bit of a grotty street um with loads of woolen shops and obviously I wasn't doing it single-handed because I was a fresh-faced graduate um so I kind of did that for a while then I worked on um, industrial and offices offices and then um, I went to work for B Q where I acquired big sites for them for a few years and when they were in a big race for space with home base so we were kind of acquiring about 12 to 15 kind of 150,000 square footers every year um, and then latterly I was at um, Landsec which is a real estate investment trust um, it was the UK's largest property company until retail prices kind of went through the floor because it kind of specializes in central London offices and retail which perhaps mm-hmm. might not look such a great specialism <laughs> these days but you know I'm, they're a great company and I'm sure they'll kind of overcome the hurdles but yeah, I kind of managed a, a portfolio of retail parks and then latterly a, a big portfolio of shopping centres across the country. So, yeah, it's been quite it's been quite varied. Um, but I kind of that, that's my corporate career. And obviously I kind of stopped that in 2015 and, um, and set up my own investment company at that point. OK, so if we just um, in, to go back to basics, because we've got, you know, the listeners might have, um, you know, a variety of experience, it might be people who are brand new to property. So in terms of surveying the property, um, can you just give us like a, a brief overview from somebody who would go out and survey a survey a, a three bed house, mid terraced house versus obviously you're talking about huge sites being queue and that kind of thing. So um, you're looking for things that might be wrong with that property uh, is that kind of can I sum it up in, a, in one sentence I, I think that's definitely the perception isn't it and value is for sure so, yeah I mean I think um so so I've not I've not done loads of valuation in my career I have to say I've done more kind of investment management and um obviously now I'm an investor in my own right but um but yeah when a valuer goes out um 
and I Susie, could take... can I just ask you there? So you, you we're talking about a valuer now, and before we're talking about surveyor. So is that the same thing in same your mind? Thing. Right. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. So it's just it's just a form of surveying. So surveying can cover like building surveyors and engineers, and so it's just a form of it's just a kind of branch evaluation of, of surveying. Basically, is is valuation. So yeah, valuer. Um, believe it or not, they're not actually looking for something that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what they're looking for is basically whether it's worth a what you you've kind of told the bank it's worth. Yeah. or what you've told them it's worth kind of thing so um so so they'll be looking at comparable evidence so they'll be looking at on both commercial and property you know from that perspective it works exactly the same sorry a commercial and residential mm-hmm. it works exactly the same um they'll be looking at comparable evidence and basically saying how does your property compare to that is it better is it worse and um you know kind of so so what's the correct value and it's definitely an art not a science so if you get one value of valuing your hmo at um 300k and one value at 150k which i've had actually then that's that's because it's an art not a science (laughs) so if you just tweak a couple of things it can it can really change i think that's the one of the most surprising things that I found out that what you know that the valuation is so subjective um it just depends on who comes out what day of the week it is what's happening in the market Uh, yeah I just was surprised the the variation in 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 the value like you say could be the difference between thousands of pounds and what's your what's your opinion on that how do you because there there isn't a set price so What does yeah. that mean for the person who owns the property or yeah, the person I mean, buying? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is a bit. It is a bit of. A, I think we all know it's a bit of a lottery in, in that case. And as I say, it is an art, not a science. And it just definitely. I think PI's got a lot to do with it as well. Yeah. So yeah, like uh, personal indemnity insurance for the surveyors. So right. you know, I think that it. And and this is very true in the investment market as well. Like it's down to sentiment. You know. Um, so at the moment. Um, it would take a quite a ballsy surveyor, I think, to go in at top, top value. Right. Um, I mean, I know that the, I'm, I'm talking more about commercial, really, because mm-hmm. I know the resi, there's a bit of a bounce back at the moment in resi and there's loads of great evidence, of, you know, but um, so it would, it would be quite, you know, when the market's on a downward spiral, it's quite punchy of a valuer to go in at top value, because if they know that prices are declining, then um, they're going to try and read the market a bit. So even though maybe the comparable evidence of a month ago says that that particular house was worth 300k, say, but that they can see that the market is starting to dip and we're, Mm -hmm. you know, we're entering recession or whatever, that they're probably not going to value it, even at the comparable Mm -hmm. evidence, they're probably going to like rely on the market falls. So, yeah, and then you might, you might get another surveyor who says, oh, well, I think, you know, in this particular area, I think it's going to weather the market. So I'm going to be a bit more punchy. So it is, it's really down to the valuer and you have to, um, you have to really quite pick quite carefully, I would say. How do you pick? So if you're obviously selling, you want the top value that's possible. And if you're buying, you want the lowest. So um, for people who are selling a property, how do they pick a surveyor? Value? Yeah, so, um, well, obviously if you're selling, kind of the best, the best um, evidence is people, people's offers. So, you know, you absolutely can't beat that in the market. So you say people's offers. So, so if you're selling a property, um, the offers you get in on that particular property are, is, is the best evidence you're going to get. You know, any valuer will, re- right. will rely on that. So, um, but if you're going for a revaluation, 
you know, if you've done the refurb mm. and you're going for a revaluation, then I would definitely recommend just asking around fellow investors who've had, you know, similar More values. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I, I had this experience recently and um, I had a valuation that I, I was definitely, definitely came in about 100k lower than I thought it should. Um, and then I just did loads of research on the valuers and, and found one who, um, who was just, just, just more realistic, you know, and, and less prudent and, and, you know, I got the valuation I want, but yeah, you, sometimes you have to spend a bit of money on fees just to get to that point, unfortunately. Okay. Um, so let's kind of move on into the commercial world then. And where do you, it's a very interesting time for commercial property at the moment, obviously. And, and lots of people saying, you know, deals of the decade are going to be on the table soon with all the office space and retail space becoming available. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think there's, there's a few things to say on that. The first one is that um, I, now this is only my personal view. So, you know, kind of um, t- please take it as that. But um, I, I've, I've now lived and worked in my professional career through um, this is my third recession that I've had in my kind of surveying career. So I've kind of been through them and um, I can see all the signs of a, a, a fall in the market. So it's no rocket science to say that, you know, retail is definitely gone already and has got further to go. Um, but that's because lockdown has basically accelerated trends that were happening anyway, mm-hmm. but were being papered over by a good economy. So as soon as the economy kind of went, fell into recession, obviously the paper over those cracks was exposed and, you know, zombie businesses that had been just being propped up by um, consumer spending have just, just basically either gone under or in, in big trouble. So, you know, and that, that's the same for restaurants, your hospitality, et cetera. So, um, and, and it's the first recession that I think that I've seen where each sector of the commercial property market is responding really differently because of a really unique set of circumstances. So no matter how great you are at predicting the market, I'm not sure anyone could have kind of predicted this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, industrial, especially logistics is holding up pretty well mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the rise of online retailing and the fact that, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about onshoring of supply chains and, um, you know, I mean, personally, I always thought that industrial was a great investment just because of the way, um, you know, social trends were going. Um, but that's exacerbated even more. And then um, in terms of uh, offices, you know, that's a really interesting one because there's a lot of office op- um, occupiers who are actually tied into long term leases. So in terms of like, are we going to see a massive exit from offices? Well, what are, what are, what are tenants going to do with those leases? What are businesses going to do? So um, I think there will be some opportunities, but I think there's going to be more of a drip feed when, you know, leases come to an end, oh, then that's interesting. there'll okay. be vacancies, et cetera. So, um, you know, but, but, but there's definitely going to be a trend to more, you know, flexible working. And you were saying that you're in a kind of a bit of a hub today in terms of flexible office. So, you know, and I think that people are a bit bored of working at home. So, you know, I can see suburban hubs growing up where, you know, so I I think I don't think the office is dead, but I think the form of the office will change. Then obviously retail, as I've said, you know, that is um, that, that the, yeah, we could have a whole podcast on that. But it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, real, real structural changes going on there. OK. And so for investors, do you think that there's going to be, you know, great opportunities or that, is it just, you know, what, what sort, in terms of opportunities, are there going to be 
is it going to be a flood in the market of really cheap office space? Or as you said, the trickle effect, will that mean that people are going to hold out for the for a higher price because they're not desperate? They've got this lease in place, so effectively they should be getting an income on the on the office. Yeah, so I, I think um I think the real key for investors going forward is to is to um really understand the market locations of where you're investing because every market is reacting differently and i'm not just talking about the different sectors like offices industrial retail but i'm talking about like whether it's a suburban wealthy catchment type location like st albans or woking or whatever or whether it's you know central london or um you know so so they're all reacting differently because if you think about it there's less people in town centers but there's more people in suburban locations because they're working from home and that'll probably continue. So I think the real trick for investors going forwards is, um, is niching down, uh, you know, is spotting the trends, but also really niching your strategy. So for example, all retail isn't going to fail, you know, the, the customers still, you know, people still want to go out shopping. Um, and no matter how much online retail there is, there needs to be shopping, especially local shops. You know, I, I can see that as a really solid sector going forward, you know, especially because more people will be at home. Um, but also, you know, experiential retail. Um, you know, so if you're an investor, kind of if you're reading that trend, then you're thinking, okay, so, you know, perhaps I pivot my strategy more to local shops or, you know, wealthy-ish catchment or, 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 you know, whatever your you know, particular strategy might be. But but I, I do think that, and obviously then we've got the permitted development rights as well that have come in in, ta- in town centres. And, um, you know, they're not, um, the, the class E, which is basically means that the bulk of town centre uses with some exceptions, uh, you know, takeaways and restaurants aren't included, but um, you can change between the use classes. So you can change from retail to offices to a clinic or a dentist. You know, you, you could you could kind of move around quite quite easily, which, you know, technically should give you more opportunity for your investing as well. If you've got a town centre or, or an out of centre property, it applies everywhere. So, um, but but it's really kind of uh, looking into those permitted development rights. You know, conversion to retail and. Um, I think there will be cheaper properties on the on the market. I think that once furlough ends, um, sentiment is nowhere near bad enough at the moment. I, I think it's really artificially inflated. It's really interesting. In fact, I'm doing some transactions in London and I can see that prices are actually going up for some retail in London. It just, it kind of blows my mind how this is actually happening. Um, as, and, and that's because there's real micro market factors at play and that is happening right across the country. So it really is about, as investors, I would say, don't listen to the press and don't generalize. There will be market falls, but really niche down and look at kind of where you want to invest both kind of in location and in type of property. Now, the obvious use for uh, converting commercial is into residential. And, you know, it's a sort of standard uh, deal, isn't it? You know, you, you yeah. buy an office and you turn it into flats. Uh, do you think that's the most effective use? Obviously, it depends on the area, but is that, you know, are there, are there any other things that you 
any other um, strategies you think people might be missing? Yeah, so it, it's obviously the mo- one of the most talked about is, you know, commercial to resi. And, you know, it's a great strategy. It really is. And it doesn't have to be exclusive just to convert everything to resi. You know, if you find a high street shop um, and you still have to keep that shop at the front, then you can create a flat at the back on the ground floor. You can convert to two flats above in a unit shop. So it really is, you know, and, and as long as you can get the end prices that prop up that conversion, then, you know, it, it, I, th- I still think that's a really great strategy, actually. Um, but it's obviously not the only strategy in commercial. And, you know, there's, there's, there's so many other types of strategies that you can, you can employ, like, um, you know, you take an empty property, uh, like, say, an office or a retail or, well, any of them, industrial, and then you kind of relet it. Um, and obviously, in, in commercial property, the difference between an empty property and a, a kind of occupied property is like night and day because of, you value on on the kind of value of the tenant and of the lease. So, um, so, so, so you know, just just doing that alone sometimes can can be right. enough. Um, okay. Or or you can you know have an existing tenant in there on a short lease and negotiate with them to extend their lease. And again, that will give more certainty. So, you know, your, your value will go up. So there's a stack of stuff, just, just keeping commercial as commercial that, that, you know, it, it really stacks up, but it's about knowing your market and understanding what you can do. Yeah. That's a good point about just keeping the commercial unit as it is and then working with that. So as I understand it, the, um, the longer the lease and the higher profile the business is. So for example, a Costa or Subway in there will boost that valuation quite considerably. Um, if somebody's got a commercial unit and they think, well, this would make, this would make a great Subway <laughs> or, uh, or, you know, they're, they're looking to attract the higher profile businesses. How do they go about approaching them yeah so it's actually a lot more straightforward than you'd think actually so um so there's i guess there's a couple of things on what you just said the first one is that pre-covid um absolutely like a hundred percent that's absolutely what 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 you wanted to do post-covid i think that even if you're getting i mean new look have just restructured all their leases on turnover rents they, they that was announced this week um you know john lewis are not paying their partners a bonus for the first time since 19 19- whatever um so all i would say is that you know just check out those brands and just make sure they're as good as you think they are at the moment because uh you know um i wouldn't be surprised if we don't see some really high profile failure failures in that space but but assuming that you have done that and you you kind of you want to find out what the demand is there's various routes you can go down you can phone them up direct actually if you um if you go onto various property agents websites or there's some good good websites that actually have all the requirements listed out uh, there's one called the requirement list that's really good you have to kind of subscribe to it but they basically have all the requirements for certain towns um or if you just google subway requirements or costa coffee property requirements you, you usually get a list of names of the estates team there and you can okay. just phone them up and say you know, um, looking at such and such a unit in this town, you know, what size are you looking for? What lease length would you want? What rent would you pay? You know, it's really important to check out the detail because just because they want it doesn't mean they're going to pay a decent rent for it. So you need yeah. to make sure it stacks. But um, the, the other, you know, I, a route I always reckon, um, recommend is to get a commercial property agent who knows the retailers or the occupiers in that market really, really well. Um, get them to act on your behalf because they can right. basically use their relationships they've built over, you know, 20 years to, to phone them up direct and kind of do that 
job for you. Obviously, you have to pay a fee, but sometimes it's worth it. Okay. I, I'd imagine people listening thinking, well, you know, let's say Subway, for example, there's other sandwich businesses available, but <laughs> let's use them. Um, that, you know, if there was an opportunity, they would have already been, take, you know, taken that already in that town. So, I imagine that there's a team of people looking across the country, looking for the next place to, you know, to set up. Uh, and therefore, why would they consider a little shop, a little unit down my street? Yeah, no, it's a really good point. Um, and, and actually, what, what these estates teams usually have, so the bigger ones like co-op, for example, <laughs> they might have it set up regionally. So they've got one person for the southeast, one person for the Midlands, one person for the northwest or whatever. Um, there's, there's the, the kind of another niche down might just have one property what one estate surveyor or one acquisition surveyor but what that means is obviously they can't cover every town and village and city across the UK so they do tend to have um, some some have retained agents that go out and acquire on their behalf and so that that kind of gives them a bit of scalability in terms of being able to look for experience yeah but but basically they don't know everything um, and they and they don't know every unit, and you know it's it's usually useful to kind of find out what their requirement actually is. So there's no point in giving them a thousand square foot unit if their requirement is three thousand. Right. You know you kind of want to get the basics right to begin with. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but as long as you know you kind of you can tick the boxes, and um, you know you've got about the right right type of unit, then they may well not know about it, and they might be delighted that you've presented it to them. So. And if, for example, people are looking to purchase a commercial unit and they have something in mind, but it's not secure yet, could they go to one of these agents and say, I've got this in mind. If I buy it, would you be interested in signing up on a lease? Is there a way of securing the lease before you buy it? Absolutely. In fact, in this market, absolutely, that's the way to do it. You know, you need to have multiple exits in this market. So um, to to have a back-to-back kind of purchase and letting is absolutely the way forward. Um, So yeah, you kind of, you find a property that you think might be suitable, you ask your agent or you do it yourself, you basically, you know, they or you call up you know, the front runner occupiers, including local occupiers, um, you agree lease terms, you, uh, yeah, and, you, and ideally you exchange the day you, or complete the day you, you buy the property, in which case you've got an immediate value uplift on day one, which is obviously the holy grail. So yeah, yeah it, it's, that, that, that's absolutely the right way to do it. Great. Uh, okay. I'll be looking out for those. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what about, so you said there about the high profile businesses that, you know they might be wobbling a little bit what about amazon proof businesses so you've got your hairdressers and your dentists things that people absolutely still need and want and and don't rely on amazon <laughs> yeah i mean i th- i think i think especially in commercial it's about spotting the trends I, you know it always has been um but you know if, if you really kind of check out the trends now i think going local it is a massive one um you know not only uh, shopping local but working local living locally you know because you live locally but um you know i think i think that we're going to be a lot doing a lot more on our doorsteps and these commodity type retailers um you know operators like barbers and hairdressers and you know beauty salons and uh, whatever else local news agents you know I, th- I think it's yeah. Uh, th- there's no doubt that I mean, obviously they're not the big brands, so yeah. you know they've not got cast iron balance 
sheets etc but if you're looking for some kind of you know if you look at the footfall of these people how booked up that you know a good hairdresser is etc you know healthcare even more actually you know a chiropractor a dentist a doctor um you know it's absolutely going local is is such a big trend right now and is going to continue so um yeah it's definitely a strategy to look at okay and i've just bought hairdressers so that's great news for me (laughs) um and having said that so literally a couple weeks ago just acquired the first mixed commercial there's a flat there's a basement and before that I've my portfolio is just residential and it's kind of like there's there's always been this allure of the uh the commercial world and it's kind of I'd say it's like the next level up you know you go through your um through the I mean obviously some some people do fantastic just focusing on residential but I don't know what it is about the commercial. It just seems a bit more exciting. <laughs> and my understanding is, you know, you, you get your cash flow sorted first and then you look at more the, the bigger deals where you've got the chunks of cash through revaluations and um, adding value, however you want to do that. Um, what do you think the main kind of pros and cons are between commercial world, commercial investing versus residential? Yeah. So it's funny. I think, I mean, even, even I've done that, which is crazy. You know, I left the corporate world in 2015 and I invested in Resi and, and I look back and think, gosh, that was, you know, why did I do that? But actually I kind of, for the last couple of years, I've known the market has been too toppy. So I've kind of, you know, I've been, I've been biding my time in the commercial market, but in terms of, yeah, Resi versus commercial, I mean, what commercial is occupied by businesses and it's quite regulated already. So I'm not expecting that we're going to see, I mean, I know the government's doing stuff about eviction in both sectors, but I'm not expecting we're going to see the the whole scale um, government intervention that there's been in the resi sector, you know, with regard to stamp duty and tax and, um, you know, regulation, etc. You know, that, that's been a vote winner for, um, for, the, for the Conservatives. So um, I, I just don't expect that to happen in commercial um, unless there's, there might be something in the retail space, but I doubt it. So I think the regulation is is, is a good one. I mean, I think um, also you, you can very much buy a commercial property, get it let on a longer lease and collect the rent. You know, mm-hmm. technically that is entirely possible in the commercial world, whereas we all know that <laughs> not necessarily as possible, obviously single lets a bit different, but you know, if you're doing some high cash flowing strategies like HMOs, et cetera, you know, that isn't, that isn't as, as, as achievable. So to, um, to, to have that ability to be able to kind of be more hands off from your assets is, is a big pro yeah. of commercial. And also the fact that, um, your gross and net yield can be much closer together. So, you know, unless you've kind of got a multi-let office block or a shopping center or whatever, where there's a service charge and, and you're operating that, you know, if you can let to a tenant on a full repairing insuring lease, you're not doing any management. You've not got any worry about voids. The only kind of, the, the only thing you're taking off your kind of profit is your finance costs. Yeah. So, you know, you can actually, it, it's much closer together. Um, and I think that, you know, you can be a lot more creative in the commercial world because, I mean, all the strategies that are being taught and have been taught over the last few years in residential, like options and exchange delay completion, you know, that's, that's been going in the commercial world for years and years and years. Um, and, and because it's, it's just business, it's just less emotional. You're dealing with people's homes or anything. So, yeah, yeah I, think, I think there's, I mean, personally, I think there's some great reasons to invest in commercial and that's definitely my strategy kind of 
moving forwards. Yeah, so you mentioned, uh, just in case people miss uh, the FRI lease, um, which is a, a, you know, a huge advantage over residential. So if the, the tenant, let's say it's a, you know, the, I don't know, the hairdressers, and it's on an FRI lease, the fully uh, repairing, repairing and insurance. insurance. Yeah. So uh, they are completely responsible for it. So if the, so if, even to the extent of like a boiler, would that be like for the heating and everything? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and even to the point where um, a schedule is taken is taken when they move into the property and they have to hand it back in exactly the same co- uh, condition at the end. So if, if the roof needs to be replaced or the boiler needs to be replaced, like everything um, it is their responsibility. Now, not surprisingly, um, occupiers, um, especially in, the, in the, you know, the new COVID world, are and even before were kind of, you know, in some sectors, especially like retail, we're kind of saying oh hang on a sec that's a massive liability for me um so I think the kind of what I always say to people is um try and get it but don't expect it um now there's some some things you you, some sectors and some types of property you're you're still going to get it and that's going to continue you know so um there's loads of examples even in retail you can still get a full repairing insuring lease but you just need to, this is why kind of when everyone says, you know, just get a property, let it and for repair insuring lease, sit, sit on the lease for 20 years and, you know, that's it. You don't need to worry about it. Well, there's so many subtleties around that. It's about where that property is. It's about the, the demand for it. You know, so if you've got two or three people bidding for it, you're more likely to get better lease terms, you know. So it, it, as I went, as I said before, it's about kind of niching and looking at how you can achieve that with your strategy, um, which is really important. Mm-hmm. and what about so with this like potential like a shift with more people coming into commercial what do people miss because for me it seems like the biggest risk is for some reason that business goes under and then you're left with an empty unit and as I understand it it could take months and months it's not like okay you've someone moves out of a home and you can find a new tenant in the next you know in the next couple of weeks uh that might sit there for months or years even empty and how much of a risk do you think that is obviously it depends on the area and and, and mm. the demand like everything you said there so is it just about mitigating that risk and only choosing to buy something where you know, you're so confident it's in the best location. It's, you know, with, the, with good footfall. Yeah, it, it depends on, yeah, it depends on your strategy. But, you know, there's one strategy where you could basically buy, you, would buy, you, you wouldn't buy anything that hasn't got a resi conversion angle. Right, you know, okay. so, so you let to a commercial operator, but if they go under, you know that you could make a, you know, so great turn on that. With, with a resi conversion and that's a really safe bulletproof strategy actually okay. um so you know we're not nothing's bulletproof mm-hmm. obviously it depends on the location you know if if you've if your conversion isn't worth the end price obviously you need to really do that dd before you buy it but yeah i mean in the southeast for example that that generally works because you know you've got that resi conversion angle so yeah um you know that that's one way of mitigating your risk i mean it, it really is about buying the right unit in the right location um, and and kind of future proofing that. So reading the trends, future proofing it, see where the market's going. So you've talked about a lot about it retail, but you know, to say you would take industrial, and you know, the kind of hallmarks of a great industrial property are, you know, depends what it is. If it's like um, it's like a car repair 
workshop they're generally in you know residential areas and you know the business has been there for 25 years and everyone knows it you know so something like that you know it, it's well located probably got a resi angle because you in the middle of a resi area so you could probably convert that to resi if, if you wanted to um but similarly if, if you know other types of industrial unit you know they're probably near arterial roads they um you know good road access they, they're close to clusters of adjacent uses they've got good access and egress from the you know so it's kind of you know i could go on all day you know the, the, there's the right eaves height of the unit it's got you know a roller shutter it might have a mezzanine floor you know it's about specification so it's about kind of understanding um what is um what the occupiers want and then making sure you've kind of you, you look you're buying that unit or if you're not buying it you can convert or, or change it so it becomes what what the occupiers want um and and in that world you know technically you should always have some form of demand obviously in recessions it might probably take a bit longer to let um, in boom times it'll probably take take a bit less but um and it's about looking at kind of land planning and you know so if you were to 10 years ago if you owned a property on a high street and a big shop shopping center was coming five years five years later you probably would be quite wise to you know unless there was you know there was another reason you you know you really seriously think about the future of that that unit with the shopping center coming um and equally you know it, it, it i think it's about reading those trends now and just kind of making sure that you know nothing's going to change so fundamentally that your unit will be obsolete in however many years time okay um one other sort of barrier to entry if you like that I see is that I just imagine there's a lot more money involved in commercial units and obviously although you can get the higher GDV at the end and uh, and borrow the development finance for example you still got to have a fairly large chunk of money to start with uh, obviously it depends on the area and what you're buying um, but do you think, do you see that as a reason why people don't get into commercial property more or is it more the experience? It just seems such a divided world in property, the resi and the commercial, and there doesn't seem to be that much shift over from people who focus on one to the other. If you're either in resi or you're in commercial, it doesn't seem to be many people who do both. I don't know. Yeah. It's just my perception. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're probably right. I mean, I think, um, I think there is a there is a perception issue that it's a lot harder and of course anything's difficult isn't it if you don't know about it which is kind of why I've set my training business up because I you know I just want to try and blow some of the myths and help people um to kind of get over over some of those kind of perceptions you know of course it is quite complicated but residential is actually quite complicated as well you know <laughs> so you know it, it, it's just different it's just different I think in terms of money I mean, obviously, you can you can blow billions on commercial property if you want to, um, but you could, you could do the same in resi, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, but you basically you can buy commercial units for a hundred grand if you want yeah. to. Now, obviously, you need to make sure if you're buying something like that, it's probably not going to be prime property, so <laughs> <laughs> you need to kind of work out a really good angle on it. But you know, um, it, it shouldn't necessarily be a blocker. There's also fi potential finance blockers, especially at the moment. Actually, finances. Um, the, the banks are kind of tightening up a bit in terms of finance. They're, um, uh, you know, the first thing that happens is they retract. They, their loan to values go down. You know, the rates go up a bit, um, and also they, they refuse to lend on certain types of property. So the banks are really scared of retail at the moment. But um, that'll come back. That that will come back. I mean, th there's other ways of of, of of kind of financing commercial property deals. So SaaS is a really good one. 
So, um, you know, you, you can either use your own uh, self-administered pension or you could use, um, borrow from other people's SASs. Um, obviously, you know, that they'll want some kind of security for that. But, you know, buying cash in this market is, is really, is, is a really great strategy. So to kind of um, explore that, that angle is really good. Um, and obviously, you know, you can bring investors in as well to your business to, to do it. But, um, you know, if, if you if you can get your strategy right and you buy the right kind of unit, you can technically, um, as we said before, if you could get a tenant that signs on the same day you purchase it, then you've kind of mitigated a stack of risk and created loads of value at that point as well. So, you know, if you know what you're doing, I, I don't think finance should be a massive blocker for commercial property. I think I think it is more of a perception thing, actually. Okay, so if people wanted to say they have some experience in property, they've bought some commercial, so bought some residential already, and they'd like to move into it, what's how can people prepare? So obviously, you know, you've got your own training company, as do other people. How do they? Are there any other ways that people can prepare for that shift? Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, start buying the industry press. Start reading up on kind of what your local market's doing. I would say. Um, phone up local agents and agents that work in your market, commercial property agents that work in your market. Just start finding out what the market's doing. Look at the socioeconomics. Look at the Office of National Statistics. Look at the local planning policies. You know the the um, the, the future inward investment plans for, for the for the you know town. Um, and, and just really, I would say a stack of research just to explore where the opportunities lie. And then, um, you know, an agent, if, if you've not done it before, you're, an agent is your best friend, basically. They are somebody who can hold your hand. You will have to pay them a fee, but it'll be worth every penny. And they can hold your hand through the transaction and help you, guide you to the right, right occupier, the right locations, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, obviously do your own DD because they'll want a fee. So just yeah. make sure that, you, you know, you kind of do your own DD. But um, yeah, so absolutely you can. Um, you just need to. Yeah. And then, you know, just make sure you've got a great professional team. So a great commercial property solicitor a great broker who knows the commercial property lenders you know a great commercial agent so you know don't get anybody that um doesn't specialize in commercial you know make sure you've got a great team behind you do they have to be local is that better if they're local and know the area you say like the solicitor or the um... yeah solicitor doesn't doesn't need to be local but um, an agent and an agent doesn't need to be local actually because some of the national agents know some of the like larger towns as well as probably local agents do but um because they have like sector they're tech sector specialists who kind of act act in those locations but yeah yeah you speak to a good local agent obviously not all agents are made equal um you speak a good you know and you, and you can kind of tell who the, who the good ones are just what are the what are the key things that you say you can tell what what the clues well, yeah, it's, it's about asking some kind of quite strategic questions. Okay. So, um, you know, kind of um, how many clients do you act for? How many deals have you done this year? You know, um, uh, if I was to buy this, you know, who would you call? Um, you know, it, it's, it's about seeing how many boards they've got on properties or, or, you know, how much stuff they're marketing and also just how sensible they are, how, you know, how credible they sound. Um, you, you can tell definitely mm -hmm. but yeah def definitely you know maybe ask around do a bit of dd on them just see maybe ask for client referrals maybe might, might be quite a good one but yeah to do a bit of dd because yeah as i say they're not all made equal okay fair enough so um before we kind of wrap up i just want to ask you about your portfolio and your journey so you mentioned before about 
uh, doing some residential as well as commercial. So how has that looked? Because not all surveyors invest. That's right. So how has that worked out for you? Have you invested from day one or has that been something you've seen other people do and thought, right, I need to be on on the other side as well? (laughs) Yeah, the thing about the surveyors is that you're drilled in about being kind of, you know, um, mitigating risk and all this kind of stuff. And so um, it's not that as easy as you think it's going to be making the conversion from the commercial world into 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 your own company. I'd, I mean, I'd wanted to do it for about 10 years and I procrastinated and, I, you know, I was, dro- I was climbing the slippery corporate ladder and you know, eventually became massively disillusioned with it. But um, yeah, it, it's interesting how it didn't prepare me in any way, shape or form to be an entrepreneur. And I think it's been only kind of five years on, I feel like I'm vaguely competent in that arena now. Um, so um yeah, I mean, I um, yeah, I've I've been investing for the last five years, and actually, probably started off quite cautiously, actually, because of what I've just said. Mm-hmm. But yeah, kind of deals, um, done quite a few big deals. What I've, what I've found is because I've de- I've dealt with big stuff in the corporate world, it doesn't really phase me. So having said, yeah. being risk averse, I can doesn't feel as you know, I, I doesn't feel as risky doing really big deals as it does doing you know small ones. So yeah, I've I've um. Uh, big HMOs, um, commercial conversion, but um, pure commercial. I've I've just felt the market has been for the last couple of years has just been really toppy. And toppy, you mean? As in, it's just been too high. It's just been overinflated in terms of pricing. So um, in the locations I wanted to buy, I just felt like things were inflated. And I've, and I've basically been waiting for a market fall. In fact, I've been telling people that was 18 months that, that something was going to happen. And I kind of feel like I, I, didn't, I, didn't kind of, I didn't want it to be like this, you know, in terms of COVID. But, you know, it, it is. So, yeah, I'm just kind of waiting. I, I, just I think at the moment it's just a really interesting market that I don't think anybody could read it, you know, no matter how much experience you've got. So... I'm very much in now in in wait mode because I think the opportunities will come, but now is not using my experience. Now is not the time to go too early on some of this stuff. So, so you're anticipating three months to wait, six months, um, end of this year, next year. Yeah, yeah, that's about as much as I'm going to be drawn on that one because yeah. it's, really, it's really challenging to, to say. But you know, furlough will end. Um, unemployment figures. It's all about when it starts when you start seeing the headlines in the press about, you know, um, prices falling by oh, X. Yeah, Susie, they're always in the press. You know? Know, what, what other kind of key markers are you looking out for that will indicate, okay, now this is, it's turning. Yeah. So um, commercial is really interesting because um, it's propped up by the huge weight of money that wants to invest in it, both from overseas and within the UK and obviously it's really sophisticated a lot a lot of sophisticated investors invest in commercials so pension funds property companies family offices um sovereign wealth funds from overseas you know there's there's a there's a lot of very sophisticated money and for me it's when their sentiment dries up so it might not seem relevant to smaller investors actually um but actually when that top level of the market dries up and, and it's when they start feeling edgy and um, when they stop feeling edgy, they stop investing in, in, in commercial property. When they stop, that's when the rest of the market starts to tumble. It's like it's like dominoes. Right. It just it just starts to, to fall. And then it starts to affect the l- lower echelons as well. And obviously they get harder hit than the prime property um, or, or sometimes actually not 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 always. But yeah, so so I'll be very much watching kind of that end of the market 
as well. In terms of watching, are you read the Financial Times? Like, where do you look for for your information? Well, I'm kind of I operate in that market regularly. I do some consultancy for clients. You know, I'm talking to my contacts regularly. Um, Yeah, I read I read um, the Property Press, you know, Property Week, Estates Gazette. Financial Times, you know, I, yeah, I'm kind of, uh, I, I'm just kind of, yeah, really just, just wait, doing loads of research, just watching and, and seeing what happens. And, you know, in the global financial crisis, that's, you know, I know it was a banking recession. So th- that was the first kind of, they were the first people that were hit anyway, but um, yeah, it, it just, it just stops. And then, and then the finance retracts from, you know, mortgages, banks, etc. cetera. Um, so that, that's, that's already happening in retail. Mm-hmm. So you see the pension funds have just stopped and everybody have stopped investing in retail already. So that's why prices are starting to plummet. And, you know, and we've got high profile administrations. It's, it may not happen in industrial, actually, interestingly, because I think everyone's kind of seen that as a bit of a safe haven. But, but we'll wait and see. OK, well, that seems like a good place to wrap up. So uh, I think it'd be really good to have you back on, you know, in the start of the new year and see what's changed where are things at and uh, you know what just what's happening so yeah i'd love that yeah. that'd be great that'd be great and you can tell us what did you say we could do a whole whole podcast on what was that before uh, you said um could a whole podcast on something i'll have to listen remember, back to it yeah. <laughs> i'm sure i could yeah definitely about kind of retail and yeah what's happening in that for sure so well we'll come back and um have part two so <laughs> great thank thanks you so, for having me yeah thank you so much for your time today and uh, where can people find out more about you you've got an article coming out in the october ypn issue so uh do you have a website people can go and check out yeah sure so um so i've got www.commercialpropertyacademy.co.uk www.commercialpropertyacademy.co.uk which actually has got a free one hour webinar of me talking about the market um, and so if anyone wants more information obviously that'd be quite useful and and you can get access to my hopefully my soon to be launched uh, online training course in commercial um, or if you want some more general information about um, my, me and my investment company it's uh, www.strongoakinvestments.com brilliant and do you sort of do consulting for people across the country or is it um are you doing any of that at the moment yeah so i'm i'm um i'm doing some consulting for some corporate clients at the moment but um hoping to branch out to help some smaller investors kind of towards the end of the year early next so yeah definitely branching out on that i'll prepare for the flood (laughs) (laughs) great all right then thanks susie take care thanks michelle And for anybody listening, if you are not yet a subscriber of the YPM magazine, please click the link below for your free copy. See you next time.